Welcome to worship here at Chapel Hill. We're glad to welcome you, especially if you are visiting. And if you are visiting, you have walked in in the middle of a party. This is a three-week celebration that we are throwing to just thank God for what He's doing in our midst. A year ago, we made a a heroic commitment as a congregation that we were going to eliminate every dime of debt that remains on our church, $5.4 million. And we wanted to do that in order to free up about $600,000 that goes to debt that we might use in other ways as we reach out into our community. And in that short time, nine months, we've already received a couple of million dollars uh, towards that, that goal, which is great, and we have paid off one of our mortgages already. And as you know, next week, part of our grand finale is going to be, we're going to burn that sucker. We're going to burn it right here in this building. So Dan Griswold is scared to death. He'll have a fire hose, I'm sure, ready to go. But it's going to be like Pentecost, baby. We're going to have flame, flame in this building. And if you are visiting here with us, you couldn't have picked a better time to come and to catch a glimpse of the heart of this church. We are calling this initiative Beyond These Walls because we believe that God is calling us beyond these beautiful walls out into our community and into the peninsula like never before. We've been so blessed and we want to give ourselves away. And uh, we dream of a day when every, all of the, the debt is gone and we are able to invest even more significantly in these relationships and these partners that take us courageously beyond the walls of this building that has meant so much to us. And I reminded you last week that we have three key parts of Beyond These Walls. See if you remember them. It's make disciples, send leaders, and love our neighbors. Let's say it together. Here we go. Make disciples, send leaders... That was not enthusiastic. One more time. Make disciples, send leaders. There we go. And last week we dreamed of what it might look like to love our neighbors in ways that we've never done before, to invest significantly in partnerships like REACH, uh, like, uh, like the Rescue Mission, like the Fish Food Bank. Uh, but one of the things that the text reminded us was this. Whatever we do, in the, whatever good deed, whatever charitable act, whatever kindness we offer, we always must offer it in the name of Jesus. I have seen too many churches and watched too many denominations that go down the road of do-goodism. They start doing good things and they forget the reason that they do those good things, which is because of and for the sake of Jesus Christ. If all we do is heal and clothe and care for people in need and never present them the gift of salvation that is ours in Christ, we have not really loved our neighbors as God has called us to do. So we learned that. The other thing we were reminded of is this. Uh, and, and this is why this, one of our Love Our Neighbors initiative is, is Alpha. Through Alpha, people are having a chance. People who often never darken the doors of this church They are having a chance to ask questions they're afraid to ask, have never known how to ask. And they get them answered by people that love them, and we are seeing a remarkable turn of hearts towards the Lord Jesus. And if that's not moving beyond our walls, I don't know what is. So that's very exciting. Our second Beyond These Walls initiative is Send Leaders. Send Leaders. I know you've heard me say it again and again, but it is such a remarkable statistic. It bears remembering because as I said in my blog that I wrote we take for granted what God has done in this place over the last 30 years we have raised up ordained and sent out 15 pastors that's one every other year and in addition to that 21 full-time missionaries who have gone out into the field the chair of the committee on our presbytery that's responsible for candidates he has a name for Chapel Hill he calls us the leadership factory 
I'm proud of that. I hope you're proud of that too. And let me tell you something. Somebody's got to be doing that. Some churches have to care not only about meeting their own needs and, and their own leadership requirements. Some churches have to care about raising up a new generation of leaders, not for themselves, but that they will send out into the world to do the work of God's kingdom. And Chapel Hill is that church. We have always been that kind of a church. There's something about your heart, something about the way you welcome young leaders and encourage them that just come, it keeps the, the, the pipe is just filled and flowing. So I'm really proud of you for that. You've already met some of our newest crop earlier in the service. Now you get a chance to meet one more. So you already know him, many of you, but I'm really delighted to share the pulpit with him today. Michael Bautersa is his name. He is a Whitworth grad. He did theological studies in Oxford uh, University in England. He serves right now in, with a ministry to uh, young adults in our community called Thrive. And Thrive is thriving under his leadership. And Michael and his family are longtime and faithful members of Fox Island, so we steal him once in a while knowing that uh, he has a church home. But I am really grateful to consider him as an adopted son of Chapel Hill, and I know you're going to be blessed as you hear from him today. So will you do what you always do for every preacher who stands up here? Will you lean in? Would you welcome him? And would you make him feel really pleased to be able to lead us in God's Word today? Welcome, Michael Bautrisen. Good morning, Chapel Hill. Thank you so much for having me up here. It's just a real honor to get to do this, to get to bring the Word of God to you, and to get to speak to a church that I love very, very much. Um, I'm a leader who's been raised up by this church. It's true, as Mark said, that I'm somewhat of a mutt when it comes to my church background. But this is a church that's played a tremendous role in my sense of call to ministry, in my years in college, on and on and on. And it's just such an honor to get to speak to this church, a church that has loved me and that I love very, very much in return. Last week, the passage that we looked at was a passage about Peter and John healing a crippled man in Jesus' name. And we see Peter and John again in this passage this week, and this passage raises a question about leadership. The question of how you produce a leader. How do you produce a leader? How do you do that? And talk about an important question for the world that we're living in today. A number of years back, there was a survey that was taken in Canada of its young people. And the question on that survey was, what is the thing that you long for most in life? And the top result of that survey was this. Somebody we can believe. We want somebody we can believe. And we don't even have to look at that country. We can look at our own country I mean, as you see the way that our own country is tearing itself apart in a frothing mess of partisan politics, one of the questions that I think many deep down are asking is, is there a leader who can unite us? Is there a leader who can unite us? If leadership means having a spine, if it means being able to direct in the right direction, even when everyone else is going the other way, then that's exactly what Peter and John have become in this passage. Because look at these guys. These are guys who, scarce months before this, they've played the coward, they've denied their Lord, and yet what we've just heard is that they are willing to endure not only arrest for preaching in the name of Jesus, but they continue to courageously preach in that name. And this is in front of the most powerful Jewish authorities on the earth at that time. 
We talk about guts. And it's interesting that when they're standing before those Jewish leaders, they make an interesting observation. In verse 13 of our passage, the Jewish leaders noticed that these men had been with Jesus. What a fitting observation. Because at the heart of Jesus' ministry was an incredible genius for raising up leaders. And so what I want to do this morning is I simply want to work very quickly through the text and point out to you three things that I think characterized Peter and John and the way that Jesus raised them up into leadership. Call it like Leadership Principles 101, according to Jesus. And I want to also encourage you with how I see Chapel Hill following suit in a similar fashion. So before I do that, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much um, for the goodness of your word and for the way, Lord, that you care about this world. You care about lost people. You care about every single person you have made to the point that you invest, you sacrifice in order to raise up disciples, raise up leaders um, to go into your great and glorious harvest field and see people be reconciled through them to God. Um, Lord, would you just speak to us now through your word, and would it not simply be information to us, Lord, but would you transform us through your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So I said, I want to suggest to you three things that I see in this passage that characterized Peter and John. The first thing is that when Jesus finds these guys, I would characterize them as pretty mediocre. That's the first thing. Second thing, Jesus mentors them. He takes them where they are, but he doesn't leave them as they came. And then third and finally, he mobilizes them. So you got the fact that they're mediocre, they got mentored, and then they got mobilized. So if you're following along, which I would actually encourage you to do if you have a few Bible, we're on pages 911 and 912. First thing to notice about Peter and John in, in this chapter is if you look in verse 13, you find out that they're pretty mediocre guys on the surface. You'll, you'll see that the, the Jewish leaders are astonished to see that Peter and John are so bold because they notice that these guys are uneducated, common men. I mean, this is nuts. This is the raw leadership material that Jesus himself chose. And this is, this is insane. Jesus has one shot to pick 12 guys to whom he's going to entrust the most important message that could ever fall on human ears, the one message that can reconcile a lost humanity to God. And he chooses not the best, not the brightest, not the Oxford-educated, but a bunch of rough-and-tumble country bumpkin fishermen. In fact, fun fact, one of the words that's used to describe Peter and John in this passage is the Greek word idiotes. And now you all know where the English word idiot comes from. So Jesus chose those whom no one else would have even given a prayer to. He chose those whom the world had written off. And this is amazing. It's been said that only God could, take, could make a masterpiece given the materials that he had to work with. And when I think about that, I think of a story I heard once of a pastor. This is a, a pastor who once went to a ministry conference. A number of, the, of other ministry leaders were there. And during that, that conference, there was a time in a huge auditorium where everyone was invited to kneel down and to come before God in prayer. And as this is happening, he hears a man behind him who's on his knees. And, and the voice of this guy sounds familiar. He can't quite place it. But whoever this guy is, he's on his knees weeping uncontrollably, 
crying out to God, and he says, Father, please forgive me of my sin. I am nothing. Forgive me of my failure and help me become the man of God you long for me to be. And as all of this is going on, this, this other pastor, he's just longing to take a quick glance over his shoulder to see who this guy is. And finally, when, when the time of prayer came to a close, he, he kind of turns around, looks behind his, over his shoulder, and is astonished to see that the man on his knees is none other than Billy Graham. And later in life, that pastor could not recount that story without being moved to tears and without saying over and over how humbled he was to hear a great man of God speak before God like that. I mean, think about this. This is Billy Graham, who has spoken to more people live than any other human being in world history. And yet he remembered that even he had been raised by God up from the ash heap. Only God can make a masterpiece with the materials that he had to work with. And that's true of every single Christian. And that includes me. I mean, you have to realize I am not a likely person to be raised up as a, as a leader. Because I remember what I was when God found me. When, when God found me, I was, I was a shy, I was a sensitive, I was a pretty nerdy, still kind of nerdy, and high school kid who loved listening to classical music. I mean, people probably looked a little askance at me. And I, and I had a deep longing to see God move in and through my life, but I was persuaded that God could, I, I was not hip enough, I was not cool enough, I was not relevant enough, whatever that means, for, for God to do that. For example, <laughs> this is such a, I love telling this story about the one and only time that I went to camp when I was in school. And you'll hear, when you hear the story, you'll realize why it was one and only time. Went to camp once, and I had a camp counselor who was a rabid hockey fan. And so one night, he gathers all of us guys around the campfire you know, for kind of like a special campfire time. And he, he goes around, and he gives to each of the guys in our cabin the name of a famous hockey player. So he comes to one guy, he says, Ah, oh, you know, you're so-and-so, so-and-so from team such-and-such. And, you know, that guy, he's the team captain of that team. And I'm giving you this name because I see in you the qualities of a leader. Comes to another guy, he says basically the same thing. Well, then finally he comes to me, and he says, Michael, I'm going to give you the name of so-and-so Johnson, because like him, you're the only guy I know who's brave enough to go around with his shirt tucked into his pants. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> like, I want to be a leader too. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fine to laugh at that, and, and now, now I've, I can laugh at that, but that just, that was, that was wounding, and, and growing up, had just a deep insecurity that God couldn't ever really use someone like me. But this is the season in my life where Chapel Hill and I found each other. Pastor Mark and many others began to pour into me, even though I didn't kind of go to this church. And as a result of that kind of care and nurture, I began to have the lie in my life broken. And I began to realize that, that God perhaps really could use even a weak and an unlikely person like me. And by the way, that all happened without me even losing my love for classical music. It was, it was pretty great. So Jesus knew how to raise up mediocre people, just like Chapel Hill did with me. So that's the first thing that you see in this passage about how Jesus raised up leaders. He chose the mediocre. Second, he mentored them. Jesus took Peter and John and all the other disciples, and he poured into them. And after all, I mean, this is the key thing the Jewish leaders notice. Again, in verse 13, the one thing they see is that these guys had been with Jesus. 
to be mentored by Jesus, just think about what that would have meant. For the disciples, being mentored meant receiving a relationship with Jesus. And he spent the lion's share of his time in public ministry with these guys. And on top of that, it would have been a context in which they were trained. Where through that relationship, Jesus taught the disciples how to live, how to love, how to read scripture as he did. The linchpin to Jesus' ability to produce leaders was his masterful mentoring. And as I'm sure many of you know, if you've ever had the experience of, of pouring into someone else, mentorship is messy. It means an investment of time, of love, of energy. And in Jesus' case, that investment cost him everything. I mean, think about this. The only reason that Jesus was able to be with his disciples was because he had chosen to leave behind his heavenly glory to be stripped of his infinite majesty and to come down to earth to be born as a baby in pig slop so that people like Peter and John, people like you and me, could, could, could be with him. The only reason that they were able to have a relationship with him was because they had been reconciled to God through Jesus' death and resurrection where the full weight of sin, the full fire of God's wrath was on Jesus' shoulders because he thought that these guys were worth dying for so that they could have a relationship with the God of the universe. And perhaps most importantly of all, the only reason that these guys were empowered to do anything at all in ministry was because as a result of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, he was able to pour out the Holy Spirit upon them empowering them for ministry. And that's the very thing that this passage takes note of in verse 8. I want to be clear that even though this is a great church that's called a leadership factory, if Jesus, the best leadership coach in the world, forbade his disciples from going out and doing ministry until they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit, that it doesn't matter how many great leaders this church spits out year after year after year, if leadership is not called of God, is not molded and crafted by Jesus, and is not filled with the Holy Spirit, then every single shred of this is absolutely, completely, and utterly worthless. God alone, not seminary, not church, can raise up leaders. Jesus mentored leaders by, by sacrificially investing in them, and I just hope you know that that is the culture of this church. Just to give one example of this from my own life, there are going to be some pictures that are going to come up on the screen, and I wonder if some of you have been around long enough to remember this. This was an event that, uh, well, there it is. I'll have to describe it to you, but there are some photos of an event that took place here in 2010. About 80 high schoolers came together from youth groups all over town for an enormous cross-town multi-youth group scavenger hunt where we had people load up in cars, go to different places all over town, follow clues from one to the other. It ended with a night of worship here where the, where the, the Word of God was preached. And I got to be involved in the organization of that. And it was just, it was a blast. Uh, just some little fun pictures there. This is uh, Michael Gore in the Fox Island Cemetery dressed up with a chainsaw and a hockey mask bunch of kids running away. I think there's another photo here of a, a former Chapel Hill missions director whom we somehow persuaded to dress up in a gorilla suit. So it was great. It, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but it also was, it was just a huge deal in my life. I was a senior in high school, and being a part of planning that event was just catalytic and giving me a desire to go into ministry lifelong. And do you know 
which pastor it was, in which church it was that sparked that idea for that event and that invested resources to make it possible, it was this pastor and it was this church. And that's just one of the many examples of the way that Chapel Hill has poured in and invested into people like me. So, first thing we saw is that these guys were mediocre. Second thing, they were mentored. And now thirdly and finally, they were mobilized. The crazy thing about all of this, about Jesus' strategy to raise up leaders, is that he didn't have to. I mean, he could have done all the ministry himself. And yet, instead of doing that, he chose to make room for new leaders, passing the baton of ministry on to them and sending them out to do it. And what's so cool is that it's only because of this that the events of this chapter even take place at all. In Luke twenty-two fifty-three, this little verse tucked away in that gospel, you find out that during Jesus' time in Jerusalem, he taught in the temple courts every day. And now in Acts chapter 3, verse 2, you find out that the crippled man whom Peter and John healed used to beg at the temple every day. And what that means is that this man, whose healing by Peter and John sparks this incredible witnessing opportunity where hundreds if not thousands of people came to Christ, that this guy had seen Jesus before, Jesus had probably seen him, and yet Jesus had chosen not to heal him. Why? I suspect it was because he knew that by entrusting that healing to his disciples, by making room for them to do the ministry, that an even greater harvest would result. Jesus mobilized leaders by making room for them to lead, despite their inexperience. And that, again, is exactly the culture of this church. I mean, just as an example, like, I don't know if you've noticed, but, like, Pastor Mark is letting me preach. And on top of that, I also think of other leaders who have been raised up out of this church, Pastor Ellis or Gunner or Madison or Ryan, any number. And, and all reflect the willingness of this church to create a space where the next generation can learn, can grow, can fail, can make mistakes, and to be released into the calling that God has on their lives. So as I conclude, I just want to say thank you so much to a church that has invested so much in me and in so many I just want to say thank you for seeing past my mediocre raw material, for mentoring me and for mobilizing me into the thing that God has called me to do now. And I just want to give him the glory. I want to give him the credit for what he's done in my own life and for the things that he's doing in this church because those things are very, very truly good. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I just pray that... um, All of these words would not just be in a rhetorical exercise. I pray, God, that um, these wouldn't just be things that that tickle our ears or or give us more information, Lord, but that you would use the the living word of God to transform us, that you would inspire us to be the kind of people and the kind of church that want to invest in the next generation, but want to raise up leaders just as you did. And as we hear from Pastor Mark now in closing, um, I just pray that you would encourage and, and convict all of us to be a part of this great work of raising up leaders that you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you say thank you to Michael for bringing God's room again? He's awesome. Isn't it a blessing to see how the Lord is raising up, uh, raising up young leaders and making use of them? It just makes, it fills my heart. I'd sit under your preaching, brother. I'd sit under your preaching. Um, 
I, I don't know if we realize, though, how rare this is. There are churches that would love to have one such leader come out of their ranks, and yet God has made this a place where he spits them out one after another. Our, our denominational leader, Dr. Jeff Jeremiah, had this to say to me in a note that he wrote about this. <clears throat> he said, the further that we move into the 21st century, the more we realize that the local church will be the place where the educating and training of the next generation of leaders in the American church occurs. Chapel Hill is a key leader among our 600 churches stepping up to this opportunity. I'm really proud of you as a church. Our mission is working together to present everyone mature in Christ. And it, in a sense, a commitment to be a sending church uh, is evidence of maturity because it is both painful and selfless, which are two definitions of maturity, isn't it, parents? Painful and selfless. Painful because it means we have to say a lot of goodbyes. We raise up people that we would love to hold on to ourselves, but we've got to say goodbye to them because the Lord is sending them somewhere else. And it is selfless because we are investing ourselves, pouring ourselves into, into these folks, and they're going to go and serve somewhere else. They're not going to be able to stay and bless us. And of course, yet it is a blessing because we get to see what the Lord is doing to multiply our work in the lives of these people that we send out. And I think that is the definition of beyond these walls. And my dear family and faith, it would not be possible without your sacrifice. So that's the reason I wanted to raise this up as, as a point of celebration in this little mini campaign to thank all of you who have given so sacrificially and to encourage you to, to keep it up. As we pointed out last week, we are one lap. It's a good lap, but one lap into a three-lap race. And we want to keep burning the, keep the embers burning and keep them fanned. And one of the ways we're going to celebrate and one of the ways we're going to kind of keep the fire burning is with this little card. Could you please take that out of your bulletin? It's a very simple little card. Really, mostly it's a recommitment card, but it has actually three parts to it. So take a look at it, if you don't mind, real quickly. Uh, one of, there are three things that we would love for you to do uh, on this one end of our first lap together uh, for next week, which will be our celebration week. Um, you can do one of three things. You can affirm what you've already said you're going to do. There are 700 families that have already made a commitment, and it could be that what you need to just say is, yep, we're still in. What we said we're going to do, we're going to do. And uh, that would be uh, very helpful to us. For some, you might want to revise. There are many who have already completed their giving and, uh, and have said, we, I, we would like to do more. If you want to do more, we will, we, will let that, we will let you do that. So that would be great. And then the final place would be a new. Uh, there are people who have come into our church since then who, in fact, are giving very generously. And you might like to, to join your names in kind of an official way to the other 700 champions who have made their commitment. So if you want to make a new commitment, that would be great. But whatever you feel like the Lord is calling you to do, if you could bring it back next week, and that after we uh, have that fire of burning that uh, mortgage, uh, we're going to turn these in, and it will be our way of kind of culminating this time of, of celebration. Um, I, I have told you so many times, but I love shep shepherding this church, and one of the reasons I do is that this has always been a church that had a heart for those who are beyond our walls. This is not a church that hunkers down, and so many churches do. They hunker down. They kind of hide behind their walls. They end up talking to each other because they're afraid of what goes, out, goes on outside of the walls, and, uh, and they kind of hold on for dear life because they feel like the, the religious environment that they have remembered is slipping away from them. It takes guts. It takes Holy Spirit-empowered guts to continue to reach out into a world that's increasingly antagonistic and continue to declare, listen, there's more to the life than, than you know. And that, that, that more is in the person of Jesus. 
And so that's what this church is doing, and I'm really proud of you. I'm glad to be your pastor, and I'm glad you could be here to celebrate that. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we thank God for what he's doing? Lord, it just makes my heart swell to see these uh, wonderful young leaders stand up and give testimony to your call upon their life, your love for them, and also the love of this church and the, the way that this church has poured out into their hearts and lives. God, I, that is a good thing. And I pray that we will forever be that church that keeps an eye out for the, the next generation of leaders and does what we can to lift them up, not for our own self-service, but for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of you, Lord Jesus, who loved us and gave yourself utterly for us. May we be that kind of church, for we pray it through Christ our Lord and all of God's people said. Amen. Following this service and every service, if you are visiting with us today, uh, I will be back in the back, and I would love to meet you. We have a gift, a beautiful mug. We like, we see, like, we like to mug our newcomers. So come back and let me mug you, and, uh, and it would be a delight to just get to know you uh, a little bit better. And before we go, I'm going to ask my young colleagues to uh, offer the benediction. Will you stand and lift up your hands to receive the benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in grace.